Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Um, you're listening to Queer and Yeah now on 3CR Community Radio. Thanks to Encyclopedia for the previous hour. Um, I'm joined in the studio right now with Jess and Fox. How are we? Hello. Good. Good. Hello. <laughs> I'm good too. I'm just going to start with an acknowledgement of country. Um, we're broadcasting over the lands of the Kulin Nations. These lands are stolen. Sovereignty was never ceded. Genocide is ongoing. Um, and colonization continues on these lands. I'd like to pay my respects to particularly the Bunurong and Wurundjeri elders whose lands we're primarily broadcasting over and all Indigenous elders past, present and future. And I'd like to acknowledge any Indigenous listeners tuning in today. Yes, um, today we have two main parts to the show. We're going to be talking to Jess and Fox about In Sickness and Stealth and later we'll be talking to Evan from Pride and Protest about challenging the conservative politics of Mardi Gras. But first, we're going to start with um, In Sickness and Stealth. So In Sickness and Stealth is a disability, chronic illness and mental illness artist collective started by Jessica Abashi and Fox Smolder, two community-based artists with chronic, various chronic illness, various illnesses and disabilities. The collective has run exhibitions, exhibitions showcasing various artists, performers and musicians. And this next event is on October 10th and it is no different. All the Feels is the name of the mental health ex- mental health awareness week event, which will be which will include a month long exhibition being installed this Monday, as well as digital works, spoken word, and musical performances from six at Lupa on the tenth. Yeah, so that's coming up. Um, but first, I'd just like to ask about what were the origins of In Sickness and Stealth? The origins. Um, yeah, I think we were both dealing with our own individual illnesses and um we met in art school and we sort of because of these illnesses had not done work um a lot of artwork sort of taken a bit of a break and so we decided to sort of make our own collective so that it would encourage us to make our own work and then encourage other people dealing through similar things to also be part of something like this yeah thanks for that intro iris um we're both wa people um, go the Eagles. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. As long as Collingwood lose, I'm happy. <laughs> um, yeah, so we um, had kind of an interesting experience in art school where we ended up having to kind of rebuild after the traumatising nature of being <laughs> to at art school. Mm. Um, but I've um, found that a lot of people with chronic illnesses, disabilities and mental illnesses were finding it a lot harder to access art spaces um and so we've tried to implement um intersectional approaches to try to create more accessible spaces um with making sure that people can opt in and opt out when they need to because of the fluctuating nature of illnesses uh we only do shows in accessible spaces our first one wasn't um yeah but (laughs) that's Mm. our commitment now um and we um trying to make sure that we have a, a, diff, a bunch of d- 
different ways that people can engage so that we have a zine going as well so that if people can't make it to events and just to try and reduce the isolation that people feel um, in the various disabilities and chronic illness communities but also that how much that's compounded with art spaces and how lonely they are in general. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so you found in art schools there's lots of, I guess, sy- systemic and institutional sort of barriers sort of came up for you and you met each other there. Yep. Yeah, and you found this collective which is really necessary to, like, combating um, systemic ableism and all the other intersections, I guess. Um, yeah, we're both from working-class backgrounds and um, that's a big thing of that's exclusionary in art spaces mm, as well yeah. um it's hard to get the materials to make the things to even do the course let alone or even getting <laughs> spaces paying for spaces yeah the the weird um nature of having to apply for spaces and pay for them mm. um so we try to um with our various um capacity levels <laughs> um take on the application process which is um, for galleries and try and get grants and do the organising space to just kind of facilitate so that other people can just kind of walk in, make the work and go. Yeah, cool. Um, could you tell listeners a little bit about, more about the event coming up on the 10th and Disclosure I'm also doing re- a little poetry thing. <laughs> Yay, so lucky to have you. <laughs> um, so it's going to be a bit of an extravaganza <laughs> we're both quite stressed about it but it's, it's going to be a bit of a multidisciplinary event um happening on world mental health day during world mental health week awareness week, week. Yep. yeah um so it's going to involve musical acts um spoken word and readings and um an art exhibition which will go on for the month, and also um, some digital works, which will be screened on the uh, digital screens in Loop Project Space. Um, yeah, also some stalls and a zine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's going to be um, Spectra is going to be on sale there, with um, which is a um, cutie pop zine around mental health, um, and. Yeah, we've been really lucky to work with Loop because they've got an accessible space which has got um, gender-neutral toilets and stuff like that and they've been pretty inclusive in a lot of the ways that we've yeah. tried to work and given us access to both both sides for from like six till midnight, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, and there's uh, you just get tickets on the door because I think people will come and go. So the, rather than having a set number that people might miss out on can just come in and have a look yeah cool sounds like it's gonna be an amazing night um i think you sort of touched us on this a bit already but what are, are there any more challenges that you've encountered in try, putting on the event yeah um i mean it is very challenging um oh, for, for myself i have um fatigue and cognitive impairments from fatigue and mental illness but also from um you know disease which has attacked my brain but um that means that just trying to remember to answer all the emails and things like that has been like quite a strong thing but like that 
in how it relates to everyone else having their own needs. Like it's a interesting space to work in in um, disability and chronic illness area of there's a lot of competing needs that actually are directly run directly op- opposite mm-hmm. to each other. Um, and you want to do your best and you want to make sure that people can be included. But sometimes, like, for example, like, especially, especially when it comes to art forms, when people can't have flashing lights and we've got animations, um, there's just, like, constant problem solving and trying to figure out. And for something like the mental health event, we're going to have to put a very big list of comprehensive trigger warnings because mm. that's the nature of the event. But not wanting to um, silence people in the way that they express themselves as well so it's kind of like constantly trying to walk the line and yeah knowing you're going to get it wrong yeah I think (laughs) with every event we do we sort of learn about people's individual accessibility and um yeah so this is no different every event we do is just like something else that we learn yeah (laughs) yeah cool um for the zine you're putting together that's coming out on the 10th as well, um, what could you give us a glimpse of what's coming out and anything you've read in terms of contributions that are coming into it? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's... Oh, my <laughs> um, There's been quite a, quite a lot of art submitted, which has been really great, and um, there's a lot of people that we've never met before who've, who've submitted this time. Um, some people who have submitted have been... Um, inpatients and I think that's really important because as a in the mental health sector I think we get a lot of uh, like a division of who gets to speak and who doesn't and a lot of people who have been inside institutions don't necessarily get to be at the forefront um, oh yeah we've also got um, some documentation and hopefully a write-up on um, the disability pride mural that happened in Footscray um, that Larissa McFarlane put on, um, which was a really important event that happened the other week and is still up. So if you head down to Footscray, go check it out. Um, yeah. Um, I'm staring at Jess, but that's not really <laughs> helpful because I'm doing the zine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know much about the zine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah um, I'm just going to put this sort of general question I was thinking about earlier um how might like assumptions of productivity and time in arts and society be challenged from a disability standpoint totally totally um yeah your productivity is not your worth and I think under capitalism and I think it's one of the hardest things to deal with with internalized ableism Mm. that comes as just constantly pushed through ableism and then when you get into something like the art sector where you're expected to be a full-time volunteer and pay for Mm. everything and actually you know like work a job to run shows (laughs) rather than make money out of what you do it just gets compounded um so I think it's really important that we try and make spaces where people can sell their work, which is why we're having stalls and also people can sell their work through Loop. Um, and we don't take commission or anything like that. Um, and from the performer's perspective as well, we try like money from the door goes to the performers and going to ma- um, raising funds for future events. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really incredibly hard thing and a lot of people definitely internalise it a lot. So it's a constant dialogue of trying to reaffirm that if people can't do something right now, that's okay. And 
but it, it is a constant dialogue because we've all put so much on ourselves to yeah. just be productive mm. all the time. And it, I think it really affects us as a yeah. collective <laughs> yeah. because we only really tend to do maybe one or two events a year mm. um, because that's the capacity that we have to do things. So we put everything into the events that we do yeah. and then we both end up getting unwell. Um. Mm. <laughs> Inevitably. <laughs> um, yeah, so we do put a lot of effort and... Um, yeah into everything we do but yeah there is only so much yeah and I think it's also like what counts as productivity as well like there's um Mm. like in art and in activism and in organizing in general like there's just so much background work that doesn't count and isn't seen as important and just honoring that no one sees yeah Yeah. like I mean all of the artists that have been in the shows are just outstanding people who contribute to the community in so many different ways and the community wouldn't exist without them but how much someone outside that community might value that person's work is really limited so it's good to have a space where it's predominantly people with disabilities chronic illnesses and mental illnesses which is you know a massive overlap um just to even give each other the support of seeing each other yeah and meeting each other yeah, I think a lot of the people we work with don't really know each other. And we, most of the people we work with, we've never even met in person. So, yeah, it's yeah. a good way of, like, building community within this space. And I think it's it's also quite a, a rough community in some ways. Like, it's broad notions about what all those different labels mean and where you fit within that. But um, a lot of people within the discourse might not feel like they are enough Mm. in different ways. So it's trying to keep it as broad as possible without trying to undercut the particular oppressions that some people face in the the circumstance. So so this one's around mental health. The last one we did was around invisible illnesses because it's a particular type of um, space (laughs) that people (laughs) are coming from. Yeah, um, yeah. You, I went to that exhibition. I was at um, Vic Uni's Metro Space last year. Um, yeah, Invisible. Yeah. It was really good. Um, um, what was? How did it go? And how did you find it went? And what sort of feedback did you have around the exhibition? Um, I think overall it was pretty positive, um, especially from the artists who were involved. A, lo- a few of them we knew personally. Um, a lot of them had never exhibited before, so that was the first time um, for some of them. And the first time they felt comfortable to exhibit certain works around their illnesses. Um, so I think overall it was quite a successful event. Um, yeah, I yeah. think um, the thing of people exhibiting for the first time is really important to us both because of kind of... Um, trying our best to support people to express themselves and undercut this elitism that only some people can do art as opposed to it. It's a really important social function and community mm. experience. Um, I think from that we probably learn a bit about um, community consultation and ways of trying to work with spaces to make sure that people um, would be included, uh, particularly like... Um, 
there was stuff about what times the gallery opened, when the toilets opened and things like that. They're just like logistical things that every space is different so you have to renegotiate every time. But it gave us a big list of things that we'd ask next next time. Um, but it was it was really good for a lot of people who participated who aren't um, read as being disabled or chronically ill but still um, suffer the same sort of isolations and impairments um, and kind of get that mixed thing of you're you know not disabled enough or you look like you should be fine so get over it and um, I think that's quite a particular space for people to operate in but also like the nature of fluctuating illness where people may need aid sometimes and then not other times and how people judge them on that sort of basis yeah Mm, yeah so many things also that was a dry space that was our first experience with it um experimenting with having a dry space and i think that was really important yeah. that like occasionally we do events that um yeah like i'm from a queer community and it's not very dry space friendly in general <laughs> <laughs> um, so we don't really have those events that often and then you know especially when you're dealing with communities with various things which means they can or can't drink or but also like recognizing addiction and what you know what a role that plays in our communities i think it's really important to have at least some events that are dry yeah you had some great um mocktails there, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really interesting response to that because some people were like oh awesome like you know 50 percent cordial um, <laughs> mocktails but also other people were like quite angry <laughs> that there was a booze um so that's something that we could have yeah. like probably flagged a bit earlier <laughs> and dealt with differently but note yeah. to self <laughs> mm, okay um just opening up another sort of big question there's been many discussions about self-care and community care in different communities i mean for like ever um, but um yeah, and I also reflect on this a lot in terms of my own mental health stuff. Um, mm. In what sort of way does a disability perspective build understandings of interdependence and community care in contrast to individualism? Yeah, right. Um, well, I'm someone who for a period of my life has had to have someone do most of the jobs for me and care for me. Um, and I found, um, having not come from that perspective initially, that was a extremely confronting thing to go through and I think that um, it's so disability discourse is so good in challenging all these things that we take for granted of things that you should be able to do and like the word should in general um, because like you're not less worthy or less of a person like your needs are your needs and they should always be met and I think that's such an important framework to have but especially in an activist context like uh, the amount of things the events that we organize and stuff like that that we just we do trades and compromises all the time on who can and can't come mm -hmm. and what that really says and what effect that has on people's lives and um, I've found like most activism to be largely inaccessible to me now and so I had to find new ways of engaging with things and without that discourse I think I would have really struggled to do anything because it's that whole thing of like paying um, your rent to live on the earth in the um, 
the way that you work, but it's smashed in with that productivity <laughs> mindset of it has to be done like this and it has to be this many numbers and it has to be visible to all these people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you doing self-care? Self-care. Um, sorry, could you repeat the question again? I'm yeah, it was a, a big question. Um, <laughs> I was just around like this, there's a lot of discussion about self-care and community care and then um, I suppose like different writers have talked about interdependence I suppose like I suppose like yeah um, like I know Mia Mingus has written a lot about like access intimate intimacy and interdependence and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like interdependence and community care in contrast to more like an individualistic understanding yeah um i think we try and sort of reinforce that community care aspect in everything we do in our collective i think that's really important um and that's probably the main reason we started the collective is to build this really um open support network um and so i think that's what people get from our, our events um yeah so we try and cater to everyone and make sure everyone is everyone's needs are met which is which can be quite sometimes stressful on us individually but we try our best um yeah we just try and like cater to everyone and um yeah i think both of us come from like fairly socialist (laughs) (laughs) perspectives too so like um uh, I'm going to not get the quote right, but, you know, each from their ability to according to their needs sort of thing. Um, yeah. Everyone does what they can and gets their needs met sort of model is what, yeah, we we want in all areas. Yeah. And um, people should be able to live full lives in whatever way that's possible and whatever that means for them. Um, and I think, yeah, it's really it's really full on to put it um like obviously self-care is super important in terms of burnout and all that sort of stuff but it's also like that culture of like we just watch people burn out and pile them up with everything and like Mm. set them off into the sunset all alone and you know that's not part of um you know that's that person can only do so much self-care once we've done that that's everyone's responsibility to look after each other um, yeah. yeah. Um, there was, uh, I can't remember the full details of this, but there was a webinar put on by some people in the US. Um, there was one that was, um, Leah Lush, me, did one. Another mm. one, like Kai Cheng, Thomas, other people, some trans femmes did one. And mm. it looked like it was important, like, discussions I um, listened to on there. And, and I, one I remember in particular, it was, um, around like reaching out that the burden of reaching out shouldn't be placed on people that are experiencing like psychological distress and crisis like people should have be talking to their friends and checking in so it's not just all on totally yeah yeah so that was one thing that came to mind from that um and leah Lakshmi stuff I, th- I find really interesting too around the crossover between um like the the field of caregiving and femme yeah responsibilities um and i think that's a really interesting space for us to like try and navigate of like 
um, like how do you work out what's reinforcing fem roles mm. kind of thing and what is actually what we want everyone to do. So <laughs> Exactly. What's, what's actually, a fair trade? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, for listeners that might there's an article on Bitch Media, um, about fair trade economy. If you Google that, that might come up with it. <laughs> but I'll provide a link to it in the notes to the show. Um, yeah, so another thing that came out recently was an article in The Guardian that talked about cuts to disability support access, which is making many people with chronic illnesses' lives more miserable by knocking them back onto a smaller payment. Um, that was published in The Guardian this week and written by Stacey Thompson. Are you seeing that come up a lot in different communities you're a part of? Yeah, totally. And I think um, in chronic illness um, particularly, um, where things might not be recognised um, as much or it's harder to get recognition for disability status and things like that, um, there's a lot of people who aren't on payments or get kicked off completely. And it's really full on that... Um, in this work and in some of the queer work that we're part of, like just trying to show people we love them and we want them to survive it is like, it's it's really upsetting that that's the level that sometimes you've got to pitch out because it's so hectic, all these attacks on people with disabilities and chronic illnesses, um, but they are just so full on um, and people are really, really suffering from it. And I think also that thing of like always being at risk of being kicked off is such a like massive thing and where people don't feel like they're able to re-engage or and like legitimately don't feel like that um yeah sorry um i think coming back to the events we do like knowing everything that's going on in the disability sector um i just sort of yeah, I think the work we do is really important because of that. It gives people a space to sort of be themselves and not think about some of the other um, things going on in their lives that maybe they're struggling with. Um, I remember the like first event, first exhibition we did, we had two ladies who were part of it who both had Lyme's disease and just hearing them talk about how difficult it was to be on disability pension or trying to even get on to disability mm -hmm. pension because the disease is not um, recognised in Australia and, like, how thankful they were to actually have the space to express themselves and, um, yeah, feel comfortable in the exhibition that we did, um, which was quite small and intimate and, yeah. Um, yeah. But also as... Um to create spaces which can be continued frameworks to have resistance and protests. Like, I think we need to be protesting this stuff and people and people definitely are already. Um, so we try to use our Facebook page just as a thing of when we can't make it down to something to be able to promote it and um, keep the discourse going. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think to finish off, um, I was... Um, yeah, I just want to ask, what would you like to see more of in queer communities? Um, in queer communities? Um, I think 
having events at spaces that you don't have to go up several flights of stairs yeah. for would be <laughs> like just an immediate thing. Um, not have, having a range of events that aren't always on at night. Um, mm. Not just accepting that everything, like that you have to pay a million dollars to get into things. Um, yeah. Less drinking. I mean, you said one thing, yeah, but I'm just like going. Uh, no, multiple. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I think trying to actually work with people with disabilities and chronic illnesses and mental illnesses in the organising of events. Like, it's no good to do your consultation after you've set up the event and someone's like, oh, that's a bit shit. And you change one thing yeah. or you put an apology in. Like, if you want those people to be there you've got to do that from the start yeah um yeah i would like to see more events in accessible spaces which is difficult because we live in a city that is very inaccessible i think um even transport and things like that is sort of quite inaccessible for certain people um yeah i think i would like to see more of an intersection between artists with disability and chronic illness and mental illness and the queer community. I feel like there's a bit of a separation there. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be so important for those things to be more a part of everything that's going on. Um, thanks so much, Fox and Jess, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks um, for having us. <laughs> it's been really nice. Um, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say that you're tuned into Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au slash streaming, digital radio, and later on demand. Um, stay tuned. Um, you're tuned into 3CR Community Radio, and this is Queering the Air, and that was OG Lovekosh by Kate. So, um, next for you, I have Evan on the line from Pride in Protest. Can you hear me, Evan? Uh, yep, I can hear you. Um, it's lovely to have you on. Um, so just the intro to Pride in Protest. Pride in Protest is a grassroots group that has formed this year to challenge decades of conservative Mardi Gras politics um, and is organising around their annual general meeting and just in general just raising a lot of issues to do with a lot of the problems with Mardi Gras in Sydney. Um, Yeah, and Mardi Gras in Sydney has its origins in commemorating the Stonewall rights, which was led by people of colour, trans women and sex workers. And in 1978, several hundred protesters marched against oppression at night, but they were smashed up by the cops and 63 people were arrested. So that's the sort of origins of Sydney Mardi Gras. Um, I was wondering if... I could hear from you about, um, for listeners, about the genesis of Pride in Protest. Yeah, um, and thanks so much for inviting me on, Iris. I suppose um, a few germs of the idea came up out of um, when a number of us from Community Action Against Homophobia put in James Breckney's, um, I guess, appeal to disinvite Malcolm Turnbull from the very important person's party. Um, at Mardi Gras a couple of years ago when he was running for election. So to give context, a lot of people thought the important thing was to have Turnbull on side and because he was the local MP and the Prime Minister, a lot of people were excited to have him invited. 
Um, and we were having like, lots of rallies at that point. I'm sure a lot of people can remember the Yes campaign quite vividly still. Um, and we won the motion. Um, but, yeah, and that made it international news. And we realised actually something really even worse was happening now in that we've got Scott Morrison, who supports gay conversion therapy, for instance. He has got, been going on about this gender-whispering bullshit in his attacks on trans kids. And he has a trophy in his office about how he stopped the boat, which mm. is like, disgusting. Um, and the idea that someone like him, who's like already been like trying to go and take photos of himself at the Imperial Bar, which some of you may know is like gay bar in Newtown in Sydney, where Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, was kind of launched. So it's like already this awful person is rehabilitating his image or trying to using us. And that can't happen again, especially given the next Mardi Gras right before an election. The idea of having him swanning around being like, vote for me, and I'll like, that that's just wrong. So we kind of took a stand and we started organising together, sharing ideas and realising that we could put motions. But one of the really key things is to build something up so that people can get behind it, something clear. And we decided we had to run an election to kind of cohere that. So I suppose that's pride and protest. Um, and we're also bringing ideas around police engagement and corporate um, particularly given the successes that have happened in prides across the world around those two. Yeah, um, sort of touching on that area, we've seen like, yeah, many interventions in recent years and decades in pride parades. We've seen interventions in Sydney, um, down here in Melbourne, um, protesting cops, corporations to transphobia and racism. Um, and we've seen overseas stuff like the Black Lives Matter movement has challenged different pride parades such as Chicago in 2015 where they halted the parade um, protesting injustice, racism and cops. I guess like we've also seen reactionary sort of interventions by like decades of cops and corporations becoming the mainstay of Mardi Gras um, and pride parades around the world and we saw TERFs hijack London Pride this year as well um, and we've seen responses in terms of there's been, yeah, a number of different responses different groups have had, such as UK Black Pride sort of has more of like a, a like Pride is so messed up, they're just doing their own thing, centering Black people and people of colour communities. Um, so, yeah, I'm wondering what sort of factors have been in play for you, um, your collective in terms of deciding to tactically push for the board? Yeah, so... I think one of the things that's quite clear is Mardi Gras is still a huge social forum. And as any progressive-minded person knows, like you need to talk to people. Like We're not like conservatives that stand on top of society and can pull like, strings. We're not for 1%. And Mardi Gras, um, it has this genesis as being this radical moment. Um, people standing together saying, stop police attacks on gays, women and blacks. Which is queer, like... I was going to say clearly, clearly quite profound. Um, and even though a lot of that, you know, the corporate control has been taken over, there's still at least 12,000 people who are marching in the parade on that evening, acknowledging, especially after the 40th anniversary with the release of Riot, that this is a radical moment. And this means there's something that we should push back. And that's why you can see, I think, it's logical, while there's a lot of discontent, which I think is super valid, um, that there are people saying, actually, this is an argument we need to take up because Mardi Gras is a huge public forum. Pride parades are a huge public forum. 
we need to be making sure that when that we have a community in a space that is one of the helps of social change, that we're trying to make that social change something that's really legitimate and is supporting minority and not like pinkwashing. So I think like that would be one response. And I think there are some successes. Like you mentioned um, Pride in the UK. Um, one of the interesting things is, I don't know if you've been following gay and lesbian support for migrants over there. No, I haven't. Um, well, one of the things they managed to do um, by like one of their engagements in Pride was trying to kick out some of the corporations. Um, and they managed to get uh, Virgin and British Airways to agree to stop deportations of asylum seekers and immigrants. Um, so they're not going to be involved in that because people decided they're going to take up the argument. This is a huge space. That pride is like mm-hmm. a social forum and what they say there matters. And I think that's something that we can take up too because we've got Qantas and ANZ all over it, mm. like Mardi Gras. And Qantas supports asylum seekers, which is abhorrent. It's also in the middle of an enterprise bargaining where so many of its employees are trying, like desperate for a raise they haven't had in years. Mm. And yet we're partnering with Qantas. We're partnering with ANZ, which is in the middle of a royal commission showing that it's putting, you know, profitable people. Um, and we've shown that like, over the years that actually this is a bank that has huge investments in fossil fuels. It's a bank that actually funds a huge amount of arms manufacturing that creates wars and climate change that create refugees. These are really bad people, and now's the moment to stand up and say something. And that has worked abroad, and it can work here. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, so what sort of – you've mentioned a bunch of these. So what other sort of areas are you campaigning on? The key things that I'd say we're campaigning on, so corporations is one key thing because Qantas and ANZ are a standout there. They don't have our interests at heart, and I think we need to make that clear and put pressure on them by intervening in Mardi Gras. We've had the focal point of the Liberals. Why do we have someone who's like a mega homophobe, transphobe, racist, you know, who will be allowed a participation? Like the Liberals, even if they're gay members, they're not pro-gay. Um, and the third issue is the police. Um, the idea that the police get to march, you know, full regalia, they get to be endorsed with pride, with not even just one float, but multiple floats. Mm. It's kind of gross, given their history, given how 1978 started, and given that they may have apologised, um, which is a good win for their brutality in 1978, but any good apology, we all know, actually means you acknowledge why and how what you did is wrong. And they clearly haven't done that when they're still involved in killing Aboriginal youth. And you can't get past that. They still see their role as killing. They still see their role as brutality. And that's why it took them 40 years to apologise for just one night. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, the cops, uh, yeah, what are they doing in pride parades and queer spaces? They shouldn't be there. Um, yeah, and also at conference, at any sort of queer conferences, including one that was recently happened. But um, so just on your demands, um, how have your demands sort of been received by communities? Um, so a lot of people really hate Scott Morrison, and a lot of people really hate banks and corporations. People have been saying for years, Mardi Gras is too corporate. You know, why do you have, say, Delta Goodrum throwing out toothpaste rather than um, people getting in the parade? Like, the Teachers' Federation almost got excluded last year. Um, So you look at that, and people are dissatisfied. The cops is a much more complicated issue, Um, so there has been a little bit of backlash over that. Um, But there's also been a lot of strong support, too. Um, 
I find that the stronger people are about the status quo, defending it, usually the people who are like more involved with running the organization and they have a vision and they're entitled to defend that. Um, but I think like a lot of people outside of that area um, who are queer or who've marched or watched the parade, they're actually like quite on board, quite positive. It's been really great to see and it's really heartening. Um, it's really heartening to see the messages that filter through to the page sometimes too. Um, and, you know, I have never had like so many popular Facebook posts, so many likes since um decided to run on that platform. So I think there is a lot of support. It's really heartening to see. Um, but, yeah, I suppose there are some complexities around the police, and I'd love to have that debate out um, and hear what people think and offer my own views up on that too. Yeah, definitely. We need that um, more sort of debate, more people, uh, more sort of education and debate around, like, the role of mm. the cops as an oppressive institution. Um yeah, and it's quite perverse that they're rebranding themselves as innocuous to even mm. march in a, in the parade, um, as you sort of mentioned. So, sort of touching on that as well, um, like who is excluded from Mardi Gras at present, and who is included? I know Skull and Alliance, the sex worker organisation um, in New South Wales, um, they've been excluded on dubious grounds for a number of years. Um, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a whole bunch of, um, like, the internal debates in Scarlet Alliance, um, but I know that when I first got involved in queer organising, you know, they were one of, like, the floats, like, that um, if you weren't about money, you know, if you were about, like, standing up for something, if you wanted to just get involved, you know, it was a student float, you know, sex workers float, um, some of the political floats, you know, against homophobia, that's kind of what you do. And then they weren't there anymore and I like which seems weird because it is a pillar of our community you know standing up for workers rights particularly yeah. sex workers many of whom are queer like you'd think that's something important for our parade um but they have been disappearing I think there's a whole range of other people who are excluded obviously um and I think that cuts across white space of community I don't want to speak on behalf of anyone but I think the simple fact is this is an expensive parade and I say that not for the organisation, so that may be true, but for anyone to participate, if you run a community float, you basically have to charge through the nose in order to fund it yourself. Um, you don't get access to a community workshop space, which is just for corporations who sign contracts with Mardi Gras. You know, like, it's actually quite an exclusive parade. It's a rally where you have a cutoff of, like, several thousand people. That's, like, a really bizarre experience. So I think there are definitely marginalised people, and I think people who have a problem with corporations, people who have a problem with cops, people who have a problem with the politics, um, which are many minority groups at the moment, would have some issues. But I think, in general, the idea that you can have like such a tightly, tightly controlled event, which has such a foothold from these organisations, like corporations and so on, is the exclusion in general. Um, and I think... Because that's why things like the Teachers' Federation, people pick the priorities. They say, oh, we can only have so many splits, we only have so many spaces, because we've sold them off, really. So why is it that teachers or sex workers should struggle to get a space when you have others that are basically guaranteed just because of their role in society? And their role in society is to be a cop or to be a corporate or to be a liberal. Like, they've never had problems getting in. Mm, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so... 
What about your vision for Mardi Gras? What is the vision of um, of your group for Mardi Gras? Well, I think the vision is that while Mardi Gras is definitely a party and Mardi Gras is definitely a parade, it's also definitely a protest and we can't get away from that. And our pride parades everywhere, you know, and I think that the question, you know, is Midsummer Pride? Do people feel that should be a protest? Should mm. um, pride all over the country, should they be a protest? I think yes. I think we're a community that's still in the midst of so much social struggle. I think we have refugees locked in detention. Um, many of whom are fleeing on the basis of their sexuality. I think we have a prison system that's just absurd. And we recently had, um, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but in WA, a HIV-positive sex worker who was um, in like, practice, if not in like um, name, put in solitary confinement yeah. because she was put in male prison. Like, these are all like really awful, screwed-up things. And... We actually need a forum in which we can raise that, raise that as a community, without having the people who are doing that in the same space. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's CJ Palmer that is in jail, uh, sentenced to six years for the, like when HIV transition shouldn't is not a crime, it shouldn't be a crime, and she is only in jail because she's a trans woman of color and sex worker, and it wasn't, and it's. And her former partner is, yeah. So there's lots. Of, I talked to Jules Kim in a earlier in the year on that issue. If listeners want to go back and look at that, um, that touches on that in a lot of detail. Um, but definitely, I definitely agree with you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to raise? Um, I don't know. I'd love to have anyone who's interested, anyone who's hearing this and thinks either that's something I disagree with and wants to tease out why or you're hearing it and you think that's great, like, please get in touch with us. Because this isn't a collective of just, like, tiny, faceless people. It's actually a collective based mm. out of community members. Um, and I hope, like, in upcoming rallies, there'll need to be against Scott Morrison. There'll need to be rallies around refugee rights. Like, please go to them. Please be a part of that, because our community can't stand on its own. We need to stand together. So I think that's one thing that I really love to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks so much, for, um, for being on, Evan. It's been great to hear from you and from Pride in Protest. All right. Thanks so much for having me, Iris. No worries. Um, see ya. See ya. <laughs> You're tuned into Quirinia on 3CR Community Radio. Um, I'm in the studio today with Fox and Jess, and I was Evan before on the line from Pride in Protest, a group challenging the conservative politics of Mardi Gras in Sydney. Um... Yeah, it's been a packed show today and we've reached about the end of our time. Um, but we have something to flag for listeners um, in the future as well. Yep. Um, just speaking from my other hat, um, I'm in a collective called You Are Loved Collective, which is, um, you can find us on Facebook. Um, I'm coming out of the surveys um, and how... Um, queer people of colour experienced a lot more hardship um, given the way that um, uh, well, people were abandoned, I guess, in, in a lot of ways and not um, resources weren't put into different languages but also about how um, queer people of colour communities um, being attacked post the survey and being blamed for um, 
no votes, which is like on so many levels wrong and been shown to be wrong. Um, uh, we just uh, decided as a collective to try and organise a, a cutie pock forum um, talking about queer histories and communities of colour that have existed for a long time and continue to exist within Australia and outside. Um, and that's going to be coming up in November. And so if anyone wants to make any artwork around that, um, uh, there'll be a month-long exhibition in November. So just get in touch with the You Are Loved collective page. But also there'll be a forum with some performances and spoken word um, and people, uh, hopefully some filmed interviews with people as well about their um, community histories. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Um, that's the You Are Loved Collective on Facebook, so yep. check that out. Um, and that event will be up soon. <laughs> yeah. November 19th. Cool. Um, that's all we have. Um, you've been listening to Querying Air. You can contact us at queeringtheair at gmail.com or message us on Twitter and Facebook. Next up is Hip Sister Hop. Stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.